I'm always surprised that we see leadership as something different than a team. Uh, for me, an organization is a group of people with the same purpose. So you want to get the same result and everybody has his specific role in that process. And a leader is not the one who's telling you what to do and taking control on how you behave. They are the one who facilitate. So the only question a leader should ask is, what do you need to be the best? Then we get the best results. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello, and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. Our focus today is on something that very much is underpinned by strong professional relationships, and that's building strong relationships with employees, or to give it its more formal title, employee engagement. Over the years, traditionally, a lot of the focus of my work, what people bring me in to do is to focus on relationships with external stakeholders. So most most particularly, obviously, customers and prospective customers through referrals. But it's so easy to lose sight of the relationships that leaders have with their team uh, and, and that leaders and their team have with other colleagues throughout their organization. And so much of our success lands or falls on those relationships. And that's an increasing part of the work that I'm doing now. Uh, I was at a, a, a Global Speakers Summit in Dublin a few weeks ago, and I caught up with two good friends of mine uh, from different parts of the world, both of whom uh, are global speakers, they're authors, and they are um, they're employee engagement specialists. Um, and, and what they have in, in common that I, I love about them is that they both have a great sense of fun and having fun. And, and it's a commonality in the work that they do as well, in that it's not just them having fun themselves, but it translates into the employment engagement strategies they teach. So uh, Scott Friedman is joining us from California today, but he normally splits his time between his home in Colorado uh, and about a third of the year uh, he spends in Southeast Asia, which is where we first met in Singapore a few years ago. Um, and uh, a lot of Scott's work is focusing on ensuring that employees enjoy their time at work and produce better results by doing so. And Paul Tawal is a Dutchman, splits his time as well, doesn't travel quite as far between his two bases, um, but he splits his time between his home in the Netherlands and he's got a home in Germany as well. And one of the things that, that um, Paul said to me that I think sums up this whole approach is happiness makes money. Uh, so uh, Paul, Scott, thank you very much for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm really looking forward to learning more and, and to the conversation. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good to be here. Thanks for asking us. And and I always try to sort of, as this is an audio conversation, uh, I always try to help people understand who is who of our two guests. But I think hopefully our accents, uh, the accents will give it away. So you'll you'll get the Dutch accent and the American accent. Paul is a Dutchman. Scott is our American. So we're going to get a global perspective on this topic of, of employee engagement. I stressed in my introduction, and I'll start with you, Scott, if that's okay. I stressed in my introduction that you both have this common thread of people having fun 
and enjoying work as a core part of building strong relationships with employees. I've shared in the podcast before, I have my story uh, of what I call my Goldilocks story, uh, which were three of my uh, bosses in one of my my first permanent job. Uh, And the first boss was too cold. The second boss was too warm. And the third boss was just right. Um, so that's the guy that was too cold. I, I, I just wouldn't do anything for him because I, I immediately disliked him. The one who was too warm, we never took seriously. And the one who was just right knew how to engage me, but he also knew how to pull me up when, when he needed to do so. So how do you create a culture where your employees enjoy work, have a good bond with you as their leader and look forward to coming in, but they still take you and their job seriously? I think it starts with the trust level. So if you have good trust with your employees uh, and you're very, you define what the objectives are and you hold them accountable for these objectives at that point, then you can have some fun so that they respect the fact that, uh, that you are going to hold them accountable. Uh, you, you trust one another, you're, you're transparent, you communicate uh, what those objectives are. And, and it's, it's best if you, especially in today's environment, if you create those objectives together. And then at that point, then uh, you open up that relationship to, to have a good time. So you got to get the foundation in first. Uh, Correct. Okay, you don't go in and say, hey, I'm the, I, I'm a great guy. Let's have fun together. Now, do, what do we want to achieve? You build that trust first. Um, let, let's let's dig into that, that trust, because I think it's very easy to say you've got to have the trust in place first. You, you, you've mentioned some of the elements of that, like transparency and communication, particularly. Um, but for you, Scott, what what does someone need to do coming into a leadership role to establish trust quickly? Uh, with the team they're going to work with? Uh, For my first book on celebration called Celebrate Lessons Learned from the World's Most Admired Organizations, we did an interview with a man by the name of Scott Bemis. Scott was the former president publisher of the Denver Business Journal. And uh, Scott would have a, before they would hire anybody at the Denver Business Journal, Scott would go in that last interview and and he would say to them, if you come to work here at the Denver Business Journal, can we make an agreement that this will be the best job you've ever had. So he was setting those intentions as well as seeing if they could buy into that. So if they if they said yes, then they were still a candidate for that job. So whoever he hired for that open position, he'd have a conversation on the first day of work. And the conversation would, he would remind them of the conversation that they had before in that interview. And he says, okay, now it's up to us to make sure that you, uh, it is the best job you've ever had before. And he says, I'm going to be resourceful. I am going to be accessible. I am going to set you up to win. So it's creating the ground rules from the very beginning and uh, and getting the buy-in. He says, so, you know, what, you know, too many organizations look at employee engagement as a one-way street that here's the programs we have that we're going to engage you but especially more today than ever, it needs to be a two-way street. They need to have that conversation. You need to figure out what is highest on that employee's joy list, what their values are. So from the very beginning, you can tap into what their what their hot buttons are and that, that you have the buy-in to this is what success looks like and this is what the employee experience should look like. And let, let's make sure that we get there 
because we're both on the same page. Yeah. Now, uh, people listening to the podcast might have heard Paul just uh, say yes in agreement there. You couldn't see him nodding along all the way through a lot of Scott's answer. Um, so, Paul, I, I guess you're on a similar you're a similar page to, to to Scott. What's your approach to really creating that? connection with with your team so that they do take you seriously but they have fun and, and connect with you in doing so well i think it's it's about the communication it's about the trust uh i call it uh creating the right core values or non-negotiables uh because if we have set an open set of ground rules that we all stick to then we can create trust because sometimes an employee comes in in a new job or a leader comes in. And when you're coming into a team that's fixed for four, five, six years, you, you are the new one, either you're a leader or an employee, and you need to fit in. And then we need to make you aware these are the written ground rules because we have so many unwritten ground rules that we say, yeah, that's the way we do things around here. But it should be aware what the core values are because accountability, like Scott said, is connected to trust that we know the core values, the non-negotiables, and we stick to it. And I can keep you accountable. And if we do so, there will be trust on both sides, not only the leader, but the employee as well. And then then we can work and talk about how can we make fun? How is this successful for the two of us? So for me, core values, if I go to a company, I check the website. Where are the core values of that company? And if I don't see it on the homepage, wow, then they don't believe in their own core values. It's somewhere, but it's not on the home page. This is us. If you want to work here, if you want to buy from me, this is who we are. Stick to our rules. And that, that would be amazing. I, I know companies like Zappos are doing that in the US. My big uh, example on how to work with core values. They have 10 family core values. If you want to work there, you got to know them and feel them and live them. Because we can't change a big organization with a new employee, the new employee needs to fit in and work with the organization. The, the core values um, uh, comment is, is particularly interesting. It's something we talked about quite a while ago on the podcast. And, and I've I, I've always, I've recognized the value, value of them, if you excuse the, the use of the, that word. Um, I, I recognize their benefit. I've always been a little bit cynical or skeptical about core values because I think that too many companies have paid lip service to them and, and they, they were the trend for a while, maybe a decade or so ago, where everyone had to have their core values on the wall. Uh, and then they just totally forgot about them. So how do you bring those to life? Not just at the point of origination where you can involve everyone in writing them, and it's it's been interesting to hear both of you talk about writing this foundation together with your team, and I'm, I want to come back to that in a moment. But not just at that point of origin of origination, but getting new hires at all levels to to buy into and understand the importance of those core values and live them. So, Paul, do you want to continue on that first? Well. We, we talk 
a lot nowadays about onboarding. And I, I must always smile because when I started, I'm an old man. When I started, the, the onboarding program was four to six weeks. And in that time, they could fire you or you got could fire them. Um, and now onboarding is popular again. And I think it starts with talking about core values. Who are we? Why are we doing what we do? How can we create fun? How can we create your autonomy? How can you belong to our team? How can we build trust? If we don't have that fundament, you can't create a good atmosphere to work together. So even though it was popular 10, 20 years ago, it should be popular every time because it's something that gives the success of the company. How often do you have teams reviewing them, Scott? And, uh, you know, because obviously you could write your core values 15 years ago and then all of those people could have moved on and you can replace them with a new group of people who could be a new generation with different values in a different culture in a fast-moving world. So how do you how do you ensure that those documents are live and 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 integrated into the DNA of the organization and its teams? So the uh one of my my first questions that I ask when I might do my pre-program in my pre-program interview is is how do your core values show up? How do you continue to make them real and come alive for your for your employees. And, and as you said, Andy, many times that is lip service. I mean, they, they have those core values. They even may be on the website, but they don't show up and they don't model those core values. And, and that's the real key is, are you modeling the core values? Cause that's where it starts. If your leadership flows downhill. So if you're, uh, if your leaders are not really exemplifying what your core values are, then the chances are, no matter how how much you preach them, or if it's wherever it may show up, it's not going to happen. So, um, and, and that's why it's so important to have those discussions ahead of time so that they do understand what those core values are. Uh, I'm actually, I'm headed out today to the Philippines to work with an organization who was, who, uh, who basically they bought out another company and the core values are very different. And, um, and they're having trouble getting people on the, the employees on the new page. Um, but, and, and it's nice because I mean, it's nice in the sense that the new company really honors what I honor, you know, they're, they're more fun. They, you know, they're, they want employees to have fun, but they are not used to it. So it's a, uh, you know, so how do you get this buying? Well, it starts with modeling and then it's uh you know, how can you create rituals around some of those core values so that they do show up live in, everyday organization it's an interesting scenario the one you paint because obviously when you're talking about employee engagement and you're talking about getting people to buy into you as a leader uh, one of the hardest times to do that is when there's been an acquisition or a merger and one of the teams is resentful or fearful as a result of that merger uh, so you're talking about understanding what the core values are and, and, and looking at the two organizations. What else can you do as a leader when you're in that situation, when you're inheriting a team? I went through it in a management role early in my career where my organization 
uh, bought over bought out another organization's contract but we had to run with the same team and we have laws called chupi in the uk transfer of undertakings uh, protecting employment which means that you buy a contract you inherit that contract staff um but i was bought in and they already had a manager and i came in and uh took his role effectively but he couldn't be demoted and we shared a car and all these things and it created a lot of resentment how do you overcome that well, that's a that's a one million dollar question, <laughs> and that's why yeah. I have one million dollar experts <laughs> on my podcast. <laughs> I, I think the you know going back to that conversation, I mean, for the for the leader, the whether it's the HR director, or the the team, the team leader, the head of the department, whatever it may be, to sit down and have those individual conversations from the from the get go, so that you do understand what the expectation is. But again, in that conversation, getting the buy-in that, you know, let's make sure it's the right fit for, for us. You know, we've been, you're coming to this, this new situation and um, we want to set you up to win. So from the very beginning, know that they have your support, but uh, for in order for this to work, here's what's very important to us. Um, How do you see yourself fitting into this? Um, and, and you know, and how what challenges may you have that that I can help you overcome? Um, so it really is a conversation to start with to let them know that you are setting them up to win. Um, but th- even then, I mean, I you know, I, I was on the phone with this uh, with the the general manager a few nights ago, and and you know, she was really just you know like how can i make this happen and i felt for her because she's you know i've worked with her in other organizations before and um it, it's not an easy thing because they're you know people hate to change and this uh, this whole concept of quiet quitting where you know i'm not going to i i am going to you're going to pay me but i'm not really working here anymore i don't i don't buy into your values i don't really like the company or whatever it is so you know you're facing a lot I mean, it's hard to find good talent today, and so, so that's why I think uh, to to be so transparent and just you know say, hey, this is you know we're working on this together. I'm not, you're not working for me. Uh, I'm not, I'm I'm more working for you. But basically, we're working together, uh, trying to steer this ship in the same direction. Andy's new book, Just Ask: Why Seeking Support Is Your Greatest Strength, is out now. Looking at the importance of asking for help and admitting vulnerability, it is an essential read in challenging times. Order your copy from Amazon and all good book retailers now, or visit andylapata.com forward slash just ask. And, and, and Paul, how about for you? How would you deal with obstructive uh, employees in that situation or any other where they clearly don't want to engage? Well, the the point is that a lot of people want to engage, but they have no clue how to overcome the change. Um, so transparency and openness, telling the truth, is what you should start with. And I live in the Netherlands, and you, Annie, in the UK, we have some firm labor laws. You can't fire anybody that easy, different than Denmark and the US, I think. That means that leadership shouldn't be on top, but should be behind the team. They are there to facilitate and support. So if you come in as a new leader and you are taking part of the team from another company, you have to sit down 
take time and discuss the core values of those individuals. And they don't need to be the same of the company, but there must be created some sort of alignment between the core values of the new company and the core values of those people getting in from outside and they fear what's going to happen. Well, if you tell them, hey guys, this is the way we are going to do it, shut up or move, then there is no quiet quitting. It will be hard quitting. <laughs> On the other hand, and, and they can do it now. It's it's totally different labor market than five or 10 years ago. Younger people say, if I can't find my purpose, my meaning in this organization, I will run. They're not running for money. They're running for purpose. So we need, as management, as leaders, create that atmosphere that people say, okay, so this is a new purpose, a new meaning for me. I can adjust to it. You're transparent. You have great integrity. You're open to me. You're telling me it's different than it was before, and I'm willing to accept it. Look at all the research Gallup is doing worldwide with employee engagement. If you look at Europe, it's terrible. We have less than 15% fully engaged people. US, 30 35%, but they have a lot of disengaged people, and we are 15, 15, and 70% of the people are, ah, we're satisfied and quiet quitters. And I think we should focus much, much more on employee engagement um, and, and core values and trust, because that will help the people to say, okay, I'm, I'm not fully on your line yet, but I get your point and I'm willing to be honest with you. And then during time, you will see whether they fit in or not. Or do the way Sepos is doing, you have six weeks to align. If not, you get a lot of money because that's cheaper to leave than to stay. And I love that way of thinking. Hey, this is us. Look at Heineken. Look at Philips. Look at British Telecom. Look at all those big organizations. They're not going to change their core values for you. You fit in. And they are holding those core values. And a lot of people know those core values. That's why they want to work for your company. So be open, be transparent, and support people. So one leader on 15 to 20 employees, that's the max to support a new team. That's interesting. That's something I want to come back to in a little bit to look at the hierarchy versus the flat structure. Before we do, I, actually, just an aside for, for people listening to this, um, just to flag up a couple of episodes that back up what, what Scott and Paul have just said. If you go back to the Kevin Gaskell um, a, a podcast, which is, uh, in fact, Kevin's been on twice, but the original Kevin Gaskell podcast, can't give you the date offhand. Um uh, Kevin was the the CEO of Porsche and and BMW, but he tells a story about going into uh, a boat manufacturer uh, where the the team were in absolute revolt when they came in after the 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 the, the takeover, and how he won them over is a really great indicator of getting over that that issue 
where people are really uh, switched off from the culture and the values of the company and turning it around. So I'd recommend I'd recommend checking out that the it's quite an early uh, episode of the Connected Leadership podcast, um, but the one with Kevin Gaskell, and then there's one with Mark Beale, who's a US expert on generations and gen- Generation Z, as they say in the states, Scott, uh, or Generation Z, as the rest of us say. Um, but uh, where I, I really like what you said, Paul, about they're not running for money, then they're, they're running for purpose. If you want to understand the new generations the millennials the gen z's uh coming into the workforce then then the conversation with mark is worth uh paying a visit back to what i wanted to come back to with the two of you and and paul i do want to come back to this point about your teams of 15 and flatter structures perhaps in a little while but what i noticed earlier on in the conversation both of you were using very inclusive language when you were talking about working with and setting values with the team. So you were talking about, we sit down together. Here's what I want to do for you. This is what we do together. And and this is a bit of a hobby horse for me. I, I've, I've spoken a lot in the past and written in the past what I call the eye test. Uh, how many times do you say I versus how many times do you say we or us or ours or, 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 or anything, you, yours, anything along those lines? And I wrote a blog on that a couple of weeks ago comparing Boris Johnson's withdrawal from the election leadership race he was never in, where he said I 7% of the time and you, we, our, us uh, almost 0% of the time uh, compared to Rishi Sunak's first speech of, as prime minister, which was was very different. So how important is that inclusive mindset and inclusive language, Scott, when you're trying to create the engagement we're talking about? Uh, I mean, it's extremely important because in this era of incredibly tight talent shortages where we're you know trying to create sustainability in our workforce, um, it's just too easy to go somewhere else. So um, unless they feel part of a team, unless they feel like you're included, that, 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 that this is their company in a sense, or that they can truly make a difference here, not only for the company, but in the world as well, as you, as you mentioned, what Generation Z or Z is looking for. Uh, yeah, so I, it's, I, it's more important than it's ever been before because of the, the war on talent right now. And um you know, and everybody wants living in a gig economy. Everybody wants to do their own thing, and and it's uh it's easy to uh, to have your side hustle to become your your real hustle. So um yeah, unless unless you're serving what's uh what what's the the best thing for them to enjoy at the time, they'll go somewhere else where they're get served better or start their own their own thing. And Paul, I can see you nodding along and shaking your head uh, along with what Scott was saying. Um, for you, anything that you want to add to that? Well, I, I'm always surprised that we see leadership as something different than a team. Uh, for me, an organization is a group of people with the same purpose. So you want to get the same result. And everybody has a specific role in that process. And a leader is not the one who's telling you what to do and taking control on how you behave. They are the one who facilitate. So the only question a leader should ask is, what do you need to be the best? Then we get the best results. So they're not there to check on me 
like I still see a lot of leaders and then I call them managers. They're ticking the boxes. I want to see leaders who call you and say, hey, guy, you're working from home today. Can I do anything for you to make it better to work from home? And if he really means that question and he's willing to fulfill the answer, then you create trust. Then you create success. So that's why I say happiness makes money, because if we have happy employees, and then I don't mean the who happy employees, but the really engaged employees, they will work 20% more hours, more um, productivity than you will ever see. So for me, leadership is supporting people, and they are most of the time an employee themselves. So they have a boss behind them as well. So instead of having top-down relationship, we should have flat organization, but not that they don't have leaders. They have leaders, but they are standing behind them and pushing them towards the customers because it's the professional that sells the product, not the leader, the manager, or the CEO. This very much backs up what you said earlier, Paul, about leaders shouldn't be on top of their yeah. of their team. They should be behind them, which which correlates with my recent talk on vulnerable leadership you were both present for, yeah. where I said lead from from not from above, but from among, which is a very yeah. similar yeah. concept. So I feel very strongly about that as well. So so you 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 said earlier about uh, a leader shouldn't lead a team of bigger than 15, if I remember uh, accurately. Yeah. And you've just said that teams are more engaged in flatter organizations so are we shifting from hi traditional hierarchies fast enough and what can those hierarchical organizations do uh to create a more engaged workforce by by flattening some of those structures a bit i think that the most difficult problem is that it has to do with your culture as well and and in europe we call it the rhineland model it's after the river the, the rhine the German structure was always you have the generals and the chief military behind the people, giving them autonomy to do the stuff they wanted to do. In the Anglo-Saxon world, it, it always have been more top-down. Um, so can you create a flat organization with self-organization? Well, that's quite hard. Tony Shea did it and Jen Lim with Sepos. But they found it a completely new organization. But changing a bank in this way, I would love to help out together with Scott and you, Andy, to do it. But it will take us years to get to that level because it's in their structure, in their blood for so long that you need the CEO who really see that change is needed. And then it will take five to 10 years to to turn it over from top down to east to west or the other way around. But it is about the mindset of facilitating instead of controlling. So let me ask uh, you this, and I'll put this to, to Scott first, and then, Paul, if you want to add to it, uh, let me know and just and jump in. Um, let's accept, and I think we can all accept, that you can't turn around a, a, a monolithic organisation like a, a, a multinational bank. Uh, overnight, and it would take a huge amount of work. 
but what what about someone who might be something about clients of mine who might be a regional director for a certain part of the of the bank uh so regional director for for commercial banking for example who might lead a hundred people uh, on their team what what can they do to create a culture change in their own part of the organization whether or not it influences the organization as a whole well first i think it starts with listening so if you can the employees want to have access uh accessibility is so important especially today where you know mental health is is such an issue in the in the workplace so um when you have a 100 i mean i think paul's idea of you know you you shouldn't have more than 15 or 20 that that that's makes good sense to me so that uh because if you have over that then can you really look after the well-being of all those employees so uh, you know, it seems that the organizational structure that works the best and you you look at the the googles of the world that set up their their team concept where everybody's equal you know you you come up with the answers together as a team so within so in, in your organizations when you're looking at a regional director they have 100 people how can you divide into teams where you where you all have your responsibilities and accountability but you're all on the same page moving in the same direction that you're you're part of a uh, uh, the same you know the, the same organization with the same you all have the same ownership but you're you're working you're working together but yet in smaller teams and, and paul was that the similar approach that you would take yeah yeah absolutely because uh, there has been a lot of research and, and we call it self-organization or whatever but there will always be somebody who's called team coach or leader or whatever because no one can do all the work as a group because you're professional doing your professional stuff. So you need somebody who can support, look at the system, uh, do the bank uh, stuff, the, the wages. And But if you want to spend real time listening, like Scott said, uh, that you don't say, yeah, yeah, I listen and you work on. I had it once with my GP typing and they say you can talk well then you're not listening so multitasking doesn't exist so if you want to listen you sit down you drink a cup of coffee together and you say tell me what can i do for you and it's so difficult for leaders to ask that question because we know the answer we think and then we tell them what to do so if you have I, have, I have a client who has one team coach on 80 care professionals. The team coach has 15 minutes every two years to have a real conversation. And you start laughing. But then they say, yeah, well, they're self-organizing. They can do it all by themselves. No, they can't. They depend on somebody listening and acting. So listening is nice and then act on it. So I think one to 15, 20, scientifically proven, McKinsey says it all the time. I think there is so much research done and so much proof, but it doesn't fit our organization. And then we try to recreate the truth. 
we should listen to to what the world is saying and then just move on. I I pick up. Um, it's interesting listening to you, Paul. That that a lot of the things that you feel strongly about come through in more than one answer. Um, so I talked about the leading from behind. I uh, came up two or three times. Similarly, asking questions and saying, "What what do you need from me?" Uh, is absolutely key as well. And I think that ties in with with something that Scott you touched on, uh, and I want to dig a bit more deeply into. So if, if we sort of start with you on this, and then I think uh, Paul, I think this will tie into a lot of what you said about the leader listening and and what can I I do for you. But you touched on mental health, and, and this is something that we weren't talking about a decade ago. And it's now much higher on the radar. You know, people who follow my work will know I've written a book on the topic. I talk about it a lot on the podcast. We've had leaders on the podcast specifically talking about vulnerability um, and well-being generally as well. From your perspective, Scott, how has, how has the increased focus on vulnerability and well-being affected how well employers engage with their employees? Uh, and is, it, is the engagement at the right level? at the moment yeah first it's uh i'm i'm amazed at how big of an issue it's become since since covid um we did these together we can change the world tours and we were planning our this past july tour and we were doing some research and talking with organizations you know what the what their biggest issues were that we could address during these leadership conferences and uh mental health well-being wellness was number one so um you know so it, it's definitely prevalent in the workplace today so then so how does that relate to employee engagement well I, I think that because people are fragile they're they're um they're uncertain the future is uncertain because you know the organizations are, are trying to figure out what the future of work looks like what the future of employee experience looks like um so if if they can figure that out together again come together and have those conversations and say you know what uh, what do you need what what are the benefits how can we how can we make just in time learning work for us because at the end of the day you still need sustainable skills to create a sustainable organization so figuring out what these skills are together um i think then then it, it's going to it's going to bode well for employee experience, employee engagement, because you're going to you're going to be in a safe place. You're going to you feel like you have an ally that your your team, that your manager, that your uh, directors are are there to support you, and that is that's going to speak volumes. When you know if you have that if you have that comfort level and that trust, you're not going to run away so quickly because that's not that easy to find. And you, you have to find the right leaders that have made that transition and are paying a lot more attention to well-being than than it used than used to be. So. so. So, Paul, do you think that, you know, you've talked about, le you know, leaders asking, what can I do for you? you know, Scott and I have just chatted about that well-being area. Do you think we're seeing an increase in, in empathy? Uh, among leaders and that's the core ingredients it's not something we've really talked about that it, we've talked about listening um but we haven't talked about empathy itself as an ingredient in, in uh, employee engagement how important do you think that is and, and where are we with it i i think it's 90 percent of uh what a, a leader should be um 
for a long time, we had the best employee became the leader. And that was the biggest mistake we could do because they were on top and they were telling us lower ranked people what to do. Now we see that leadership is something that has to do with listening, with empathy, with looking for somebody's well-being. But I must say, when I started in the 80s of last century, we had a business coach who was available for us if we wanted to have a chat. Then we said, oh, that's silly. We don't need those people. And now we have business coaches and psychologists because the world is moving so fast. And we see that we have, with social uh, social media, we have so many pressure on our minds that we need somebody we can reflect with what's going on. So is it changed? Yeah, a little bit. Is it still the same wish for empathy? Absolutely. Uh, so I don't think we changed that much because I feel as a Generation X, much more related to Generation Z, as I call it, um, I felt much more in, involved with them because I look for purpose in my work, in my life. They do the same. But with all the pressure, they sometimes get overwhelmed. Well, if they can go to a coach and have just a session, a one session to help them, they will be very successful. So you need to be open as a leader to make it available. You don't need to have that conversation and be some sort of psychologist to have a conversation with your employee, but facilitate by making it 24-7 available. And we do it all the time in the Netherlands. Uh, and there's, there's so many more things I want to dig into here. I'm very conscious of the time, but I think that you're both giving some great advice. There is it one area we haven't talked about and I think is really important, uh, particularly post-pandemic, uh, and that is how we can build really strong uh, employee engagement uh, when we are either we either have members of our team who are remote, uh, multinational teams where people aren't in the same place. And, and I, I have leaders that I know who, who rarely see their teams in person uh, or even fully remote organisations. How do you create the same level of engagement? So, Scott, how do we adapt to uh, the, the, the more, more of a hybrid workforce than we ever had before uh, in terms of employee engagement? If you can create that team spirit, however, however you need to do it, but one way to do it is if, if you're in the same city and you're working remotely, then to come together for social events uh, or town halls with a networking component so that you do have a chance to build those relationships. It's very difficult to build real relationships online when you're a group of however many, you know, I mean, any amount, really. I mean, even in the breakout rooms, I mean, that helps a lot when you're on a Zoom and you're in a breakout room and you're talking with four people. That I mean, that's that's good. Um, but but figure out a way to bring people together live is still the best. Um, and, and then the, the other way, if, if you can't do that, if you're an international organization and it's just cost prohibitive and it just doesn't make sense, um, then... Uh, 
one of the one of the examples that came in for the the book celebrate was the the concept of the best of the best and the best of the best started with a lady by the name of Mary Laverty around the dinner table when she would ask her kids what tell me something positive that happened at school today um first her kids couldn't come up with anything once they realized that they weren't going to eat they managed to start coming up with things but a version of the best of the best so when you start the meeting give people a chance to share something that they're excited about or passionate about um in, in a multi diverse workforce uh, you know bring something that uh, that really illustrates who you are authentically so to get to know people better on a on a personal level uh you know what what are your we just did a on our, our last together we can change the world tour we had a refugee night where we uh we all had each member of the together we can change the world team went to a, a refugee's home for dinner and we asked them to cook their their favorite dish their 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 authentic dish that if they were eating in their country and it was a incredible bonding experience that in the evaluations that we got back that was that was the the favorite night of our team because they're sharing they're so proud of you know here's what i cook at home and so it's 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 tapping into you know what's the makeup what makes you who you are so if you can tap into the authenticity of people of your staff or your team however to do that and it's um you know clever rituals like that is going to that's going to allow you to get them to for them to know you better and um and, and create that uh, that trust level again because they will you realize that they care about you as an individual and not just as an employee yeah. those dinners you're you're achieving something else as well i'm very <laughs> much in favor of that you find out something personal and connect on that human level um but i was someone said to me very early in my journey uh, in, in this world the relationships become so more powerful when you break bread together and I think there's a lot of truth in that. So when you're getting together in someone's home, particularly uh, to eat together, that that has a huge, huge impact. Uh, I, I'm also very much in favour of finding a way to get people together in person. I've just delivered a couple of weeks ago a workshop that was originally scheduled for April 2020 <laughs> for a Europe-wide sales team. And we 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 split it into three two-hour virtual sessions instead of a full-day training and after the first one the group just said can we wait because we want to see each other in person and they waited two and a half years um, because they wanted to get together from all across Europe to to, to uh, bond and, and it worked it really you could see it happening in the room um, and, and another client has shared his frustration with me recently that his Europe-wide team that they they put off getting together in person uh, and he's you know they said we can do this virtually and I think there's a lot of frustration around that in your experience Paul would you agree that it is better in person but if you can't what do you do how do you create that greater in, in, uh, engagement with your team when you can't even if even if you're going to bring them together once a quarter it's still perhaps not the same as when you're sat around you know in the same office every day so how do you replicate that in terms of creating those those connections that trust well i i agree completely with what scott is saying with his ideas on the other hand 60 percent of the employees in the netherlands at least are connected to a workplace 
like in hospitals, schools, uh, bus drivers, and even they are not connecting with their colleagues. Uh, I I work in home uh, care, and then you see people have 10 clients, they visit a day, they don't see their colleagues. Well, what we did in one city was open the cafes early in the morning from 10 till 11 and from two to three, people could go there and just have a cup of coffee and a cup of tea just together. And we told the company, pay for it. Don't bother about that money. And they said, yeah, well, it's an hour extra. Yeah, but we'll help them to stay healthy, to stay connected, to stay be productive. And it really helped. So sick leave went down immediately. Why? Because we could see each other and just talk to one another. So it's not only the hybrid workforce. I think it's the normal, traditional workforce as well. Even in a factory, you don't see your colleague the whole time. So you need to connect in any way. And yeah, we all know as speakers, it should be live. I think it's a lovely example, the opening the cafes to, to finish on. But before we do finish, um, Scott, you've mentioned Together We Can Change the World a couple of times. Uh, I'm hoping to get involved in ideally in 2023, uh, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, it's not really on this topic, but it could be, actually, and I think that maybe we finish on that. Can you explain uh, to, to, to our listeners what Together We Can Change the World is? And also, I think that you know, to bring it to this topic, the power of getting together behind a social enterprise, a social cause can have in terms of creating that engagement and that connection with employees. Because I think that it's a good example of something else that you can do to really bring people together. So together we can change the world. Our mission is to educate and empower less fortunate children and women in Southeast Asia. We have about 20 causes in five different countries. And our goal is to create sustainability, to give mostly young ladies uh, skills that they can support their family and their communities with. So that's the the underlying meaning. Uh, as far as how that plays into corporate CSR, um, which is now, what is it, ESG, it seems, all over Asia, uh, sustainability, government, and what's the E stand for? <laughs> um, I'm embarrassed now. <laughs> um, Equality, uh, yeah. Or maybe, maybe it's not. Anyway, anyway, um, it's in. I spoke at uh, the HR summit in Singapore not long ago about the about the the power of PSR, personal social responsibility. You look at the like a Microsoft and a NetApp who match your hours. Uh, Microsoft. It's hard to leave Microsoft because if you have a social cause you're interested in, because they will get behind it. You want to throw a barbecue? They will. Uh, they have templates where you all of a sudden you can come in you and have this wonderful barbecue, raise money and awareness for your cause. And it's one thing to give to the United Way and be told that you're going to be giving some of your paycheck to something that you may not care about near as much as something that's near and dear to your heart. So um, you know, as a as a company, you want to create loyal employees. One other way to do it, a very effective way to do it, is find out what's on, what's on people's hearts. Find out what their causes are. 
Uh, I know when somebody calls, when a, a client has done their homework on me and they said, you know, we don't have your budget, but we'll make a donation to together we can change the world. I'm like, how much? I don't care. I'm, you know, just the fact that you're raising money for, for, for what's near and dear to my heart, I'm, I'm in. So, um, so I think that's a big piece of it that, uh, that we need to pay a little bit more attention to if we want to create uh, engaged, loyal employees. And, and what I like about, you know, our conversations about it is that, you know, as a speaker to get involved with it, I have to raise money, but you've said you don't want me just, just fund it. You want me to go out and talk about it and, and raise it through conversation because it raises that awareness and more involvement. And I think that means a lot as well. Uh, in the way that you do it uh, and before people are people are probably screaming at me on the podcast it's environmental social and governance oh that's right <laughs> <laughs> thank you i knew it wasn't equality as i said it but i just felt i had to face <laughs> but that's what it is um scott paul i i thought that was great i i knew that we would have a really interesting conversation with you two guys and we did so thank you so much for joining me on the connected leadership podcast yeah thank you yeah, thanks. It was great. Paul, it was fun to, fun to do this with you. Absolutely. You See you thanks. soon. Thank you very much to uh, to Scott and, and, and Paul. Uh, as I say, I thought that was a, a really interesting conversation. Covered some ground I didn't plan to, but uh, that's, all, that's always the best conversations that we have here. I have my list of questions and I scrabble to get through them all because we just go off in a different direction. It was interesting... Um, how quickly trust came up, transparency and communications, uh, which are probably relatively obvious when it comes to engagement. But I think that, that whole point about setting the foundation first before you get into worrying about the, the engagement is, is really important. And I wasn't expecting to get into such detail on core values, but uh, it, it makes sense that if everyone shares those values and, and truly buys into those values, um, that makes a big difference. And, and that point that Paul kept coming back to, and, and, I, and Scott referenced it as well, it's the, the move we talked about a few months ago on the Connected Leadership Podcast in a couple of episodes, it, it is command and control dying out and should it? But that move from that command and control environment to the the leader behind or among their team and, and that really important question of what do you need from me uh, makes a huge difference. So thank you so much again to Scott and Paul for joining me. I hope that you found it interesting. Uh, if you did, please share it. Uh, please leave a review and a rating. I know I always ask, but it makes a huge difference. And let me know uh, what you what you thought about it as well. And reach out to Scott and Paul as well, because that feedback means a lot to us. Uh, either way, join us again soon for another episode of the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great connected leadership tips.